as you're finding your place and getting settled, you can be turning to Romans chapter 15 uh, in your Bible. That's where we're going to be spending our time uh, this morning, Romans chapter 15. Uh, we do have a lot of exciting things, you know, coming up next weekend. That's going to be a busy weekend, uh, but, but that's going to be a great weekend. So all the men, I hope you plan on being there. I hope you plan on bringing your sons to that men's breakfast, 8 a.m. next Saturday. Uh, we need you all there. That's going to be a great time. And then we'll enjoy to hear from Justin on Saturday morning and then Sunday morning and then Sunday night. We got the, we got the business meeting. We got prayer meeting. Uh, we got a busy, busy weekend ahead. Uh, but I'm looking forward uh, to all that. Another thing, just, you know, just to get kind of, we talked about this a little bit, I think, at our last prayer meeting on Sunday night. But our REACH conference, missions conference, is coming up March 10th through 12th. You'll hear more about that in the coming weeks, but you can go ahead and put that on your calendar if you don't have it already, and I'm excited about that. But today we are completing this four-week series we've been going through to kick off the new year on areas of growth. And it's a very important, very important series, at least you know, from, from my viewpoint, uh, because I, I think there are things that we need to understand clearly as we move into this new year and if, if God is going to grow us in the way I think is, is possible. Because uh, as I've said over and over, I, I do believe 2014 can be a year of, of supernatural growth for us as a church, for us as individual believers, as for ministry and, and all of those areas. But, but we have to be prepared right. We have to, we have to go about it the right way if, if, if that's going to happen. So we need to be the right type of leaders, and we need to grow as leaders and grow in our leadership abilities. We need the right type of laborers, and, and, and we need to grow as laborers and, 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 and how we engage in the mission, and, and that will occur as we grow in our listening. That's what we talked about last Sunday, that how we need to listen to the Lord and listen to Him personally and not just generally, and, and get what He's saying to us for the situations that we're going through today and when what we're going to face for the rest of the year. Because if we don't, the risks are high. We run the risk of doubting. We run the risk of departing. We run the risk of being deceived. Um, so we need to get that right. But there's another area in which we need to get right, another area in which we need to grow this year. If we want to be the right leaders, if we want to be the right laborers, if we want to have a ministry that is glorifying to the Lord. And that is in our like-mindedness. That is our topic of study today. And, and fittingly, as you, know, as you can see uh, here, if you weren't aware, we'll be uh, partaking in the Lord's Supper together at the end of the service. Um, and it goes hand in hand with, with what we'll be, we'll be talking about today. And, and we do that to, to commemorate not only the Lord's death, that certainly we'll talk about what, what it's all about, but also the unity and the like-mindedness we are to have as a body because of, of his death. It, it, you know, he died for us individually, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He also died for the church collectively. We, we know that from Ephesians chapter 5. And because of that, we have the ability to be like-minded. We have the ability to be uh, in unity and, 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 and live life together and, and minister together. And so this is an extremely important issue for the church because the lack of those things, the lack of a like-mindedness as a, as a church as a whole, a lack of unity, as a church, it's, a, it's a, a grave and a great danger, and the potential for trouble is high. You see, this shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody, but, but Satan hates the church. He hates it, and he's out to get it because it's the vehicle that God has chosen to accomplish his mission. 
then if we're going to grow this year, and if we're going to win more people to Jesus, if we're going to expand our ministry, we can be sure that the enemy will take note. Now, you know, if we're not doing anything of any real eternal value, then, then why would he care? <laughs> but if we are, then rest assured he will care. And, and I put this next sentence on, on your outline sheet. What we need to understand is that Satan's greatest weapon against the church is division. Satan's greatest weapon against the church is division. It's his primary attack. And according to 2 Corinthians 2.11, we're, we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. And division and disunity are certainly devices of his. And, and he implements them regularly. And unfortunately, uh, he has a you know, a fairly successful track record of killing churches through it. And that's true in spite of warning after warning in the Bible about not letting it happen. That was certainly an issue for Israel in the Old Testament to the point that they split the kingdom in two, and into a northern, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and they were always fighting. In Malachi, Malachi 2.10, Malachi says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother? By profaning the covenant of our fathers. So it was an issue for Israel in the Old Testament. It's certainly an issue in the New Testament in the church. Certainly one of the major issues that Paul dealt with with the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10 and 11. He said, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, being like-minded, and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And, and Paul had to address it, because it was an issue. And in fact, it's such, it's such a serious issue that depending on the type of division, you may be required to mark and avoid a person who is causing it. Romans 16, 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. So, brethren, this is, this is not something to be taken lightly. So, things like confusion and strife and envy and jealousy and anger and bitterness and dissension and fighting and indifference to the needs of others, all those things violate the unity and the like-mindedness like-mindedness that God desires within a church. And, and therefore, they violate the will of God. And they cripple the church's testimony in the world and for the kingdom mission. So like-mindedness and unity of the church is of the utmost concern to God. Because listen, and you need to get this. And I, I put it on your outline sheet so you would get it. It's a concern. It's of utmost concern to God because unity is an attribute of God. All right, so understand this. Unity is an attribute of God because God is a trinity. He is three in one. He's a, he's a triune God. And God the Father emphasizes unity throughout the Old Testament and, and makes bold declarations about it, like Psalm 133, verse 1, many of us are familiar with. He says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to, to, to dwell together in unity. And I don't know if you noticed the exclamation point at the end of that verse. But you should, because he's screaming that point. And then we see God the Son emphasize the importance of unity and like-mindedness in the Gospels. 
In John 17, 11, Jesus said, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. You see, unity is an attribute of God. The same is true of the Holy Spirit. It's no coincidence that in the New Testament, when the indwelling Holy Spirit arrives at Pentecost, the setting was unity. We talked about that when we went through Acts chapter 2. They were all with one accord, the Bible says. And the Spirit of God is where any unity that we have, that's where it comes from today. Because the Spirit is indwelling in us. Ephesians 4.3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And, and those of you that know the book of Ephesians, you know Ephesians chapter 4 really laying out the framework of, of the local New Testament church and the mission of the church. And one of those things is to endeavor to keep the unity that we have through the Spirit of God. So as believers, God desires us to be unified and like-minded. And that desire is based in Trinitarian doctrine. Because that's who he is. And so whether you know it or not, or whether, you know, you can fully comprehend that or not, that's a big deal. Because listen very closely, that means when we are divided, he is divided. Because he's in us. You see, I don't think we fully grasp the importance of this issue to God. Otherwise, we'd make different decisions at times. Because somehow, even when it comes to those within the church, right, those of us who, who we agree about the important things of doctrine. We sometimes still seemingly want to divide rather than come together. We'd rather fight than find common ground. And it's just an unbiblical stance. And, and of course there are reasons to divide. The, the Bible's very clear about that. Doctrine being one of them. We're, we're, we're not going to, we don't believe in an ecumenical movement of who cares? Throw the doctrine aside. No, doctrine is of the utmost importance. And so our unity is actually built on the doctrine that we have together. But if we have that together, then, then, it, then it should be easier. You know, a, a sinful life, those even with the same doctrine who are living a sinful lifestyle, that breaks unity, right? There are times for church discipline, unfortunately. Those, those sorts of things. Of, of course, there are reasons to divide. There are reasons to fight. But it shouldn't be taken lightly, and it should only happen when it has to. It should not be our default setting, so to speak, and it absolutely should not be something that we cause or that we desire. In fact, it should be something that we hate and something entered into with sadness. Because the Bible talks over and over and over about the importance of it, of unity, of, of thinking the same things. Somehow, you know, in the, in the midst of, of our infighting, we, 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 know, we forget about those verses and we, we miss that, that God talks about it in 1 Corinthians 1 and 3 and 12 and, and actually most of the book and Galatians 3 and Ephesians 4 and Philippians 1 and Philippians 2 and Colossians 3 and 1 Peter and 3 just to scratch the surface. And, and, and we somehow you know, miss those verses when we're in the middle of, of things. But another place we miss it is in Romans chapter 15. And that's where I want to spend our time together and study this morning, focusing on this issue of like-mindedness and unity. And not only, not only focusing, not only talking about it, but, but learning to seek it out 
in the lives that we live together as a church. So this is an area, again, we, we should be able to grow in this year. And if we don't, if we don't get this right and we just let, you know, Satan's devices run wild, we'll obviously be limited in our effectiveness and our growth as a church. That's, that's just a fact. So I want to show you the areas through which we need to seek unity. And we see these areas clearly outlined, Romans 15, verses 1 through 6. So let's look there together. Follow along with me. As I read, Romans chapter 15 and verse 1, the Bible says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may be with one mind and one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning, and we're so thankful for the time that we have to come into this place, to come into this house, and, and assemble together for, for your glory. We're you know, thankful for the, the time that we have just to lift our voices in song to you, and and to acknowledge you for who you are and, and how you're worthy of our worship, how you're worthy of our praise. And, and now as we come together just to set this time aside to, to focus on your word, I, I pray that, that it speaks to us. And, and I certainly pray that everything that I say is true to your word. Lord, the last thing I would want to do would be to say anything that's, that, that is taken out of context or is, 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 is falsely interpreted. But Lord, I want to be true to your word. I pray that that's true. I pray you're honored and glorified through it. And I pray that you use it in our lives. And then as we close out the service by partaking in the Lord's Supper, just allow us to examine ourselves in that time, Lord, for your glory. Um, just to, just to, to be able to, to sit a, set aside a time to remember what you did for us and, and why it is we do what we do for you. And Lord, we're just so thankful to, again, have this time together, and, and we just pray that you use it in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Romans 15, it's a, it's a wonderful chapter in Scripture, as you know, as they all are, but, but in context, Romans 15 is, is a continuation of what Paul was saying at the end of chapter 14. And we know that from the first two words of Romans 15.1, we then, we then. He's saying, based on what I just said, here, here's what we need to do now. And what he just said had to do with our liberty in Christ, right? We talked about the last verse of Romans chapter 14 last Sunday and talked about liberty there for a few minutes. And liberty is not our direct topic today, but it, it certainly factors in because it's the immediate context of, of what we're talking about. Because what Paul is saying to start chapter 15 is that the misuse of liberty can be a cause for division within a church. So it's the responsibility of those with a stronger conscience to not let it become a problem. So love your brother more than you love your liberty. I mean, that, at the end of the day, that's the big message. That's what verse 1 is saying. So infirmities, when he talks about the infirmities there in, in verse 1, infirmities, of, of course, are not sin. We're never to bear the sins of one another. In context, the word infirmities means the weaker conscience. And not that we need this confirmation, but that's exactly what the Greek word means as well. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And the reason why we are to do this is to avoid divisions and schisms, and, and it's how we endeavor to keep unity. 
And that lays the foundation for the first way in which we need to seek like-mindedness. We need to seek unity this year. And that is, we need to seek it through selflessness. We seek it through selflessness. And this is basic Bible, right? We know that, if, that we're to put aside our own selfishness and, and that we're to put aside our own pride and, 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 and what everything it is that we want and we think we deserve and instead we're to think of others, we're to, we're to think of God's glory. And when we do that, well, then we're obviously on the way to unity. And so, so Paul starts this chapter with the basics. Right? Look again at verses 1 through 3. We then, based on what I just said in chapter 14, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Right? We're to bear with those who have a weaker conscience. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. You see, Paul was painting a picture here of what true like-mindedness and, 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 and unity. He was painting a picture of where it starts in the church. And it's not with all of us just thinking about us. But by and large, that's how we all live our lives, starting right here at this pulpit, starting with the guy who's speaking. I, I understand it. It's, it's how I live my life. And we think of ourselves first and foremost. It's just not the way we're supposed to. You know, Toby Keith told the truth when he said, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my. Oh my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. And not only do we want to talk about it, we want to live that way as well. And even interact with others in the church through the lens of selfishness. And most of us know better, right? We know better intellectually. We just have that hard time of doing better. Again, right here, this guy struggles with this. I know what the Bible says, and then I struggle to live it out. We know what the Bible says about pride and selfishness and crucifying our flesh and all of those things. Just a struggle obeying what we know. But listen, that right there, what I just said, is part of the problem. And it's one reason why division occurs within churches. It's because those that know better, those that are supposed to be strong, are still selective in how they apply Bible principles. Those of us that are strong, that we know what the Bible says, we're still just selective. We apply it when we want to. We don't apply it when we don't want to. But the Bible says in the context of church relationships, our goal cannot be to please ourselves. We need to think of others. It says in verse 2, we should seek to please our neighbor first. That's a very interesting statement, actually, especially in light of, of what Galatians 1.10 says. Galatians 1.10 says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Right, so how do, you make, how do you make sense of that? Paul wrote both Romans and Galatians, the same author here. And in Romans, he said we're to seek to please our neighbor and not ourselves. And in Galatians, he says if we seek to please our neighbor, we won't be a servant of Christ. Right, so how do you make sense of that? Well, actually, it's easy. It's understanding context. It's the first rule of Bible study. 
Because in Galatians 1, the context is preaching, and specifically, preaching the gospel to the unsaved. If you, we don't take the time, but you can go look very clearly. It's preaching the gospel to the lost, and that is a command that we have been given by God. So we are to do that. We are to obey God, whether it pleases the men we are talking to or not. In that context, our job is to please God. It is It's a matter of who we respect more. Do we respect God and his word or do we fear man? And respect man more than God and seek to please them over God so we keep quiet and, you know, we're ashamed of the gospel. That's the issue in Galatians 1. The context of Romans 15, which we've already laid out, is different. It's church relationships and liberty. In that context, Paul says you need to love your brother more than yourself. Because, Because here's the thing. When we're talking about issues of church relationships, we're talking about issues of liberty, we're not talking about an issue of obeying the Bible or not, or loving man more than loving God, right? God's command is actually for us to love our brother more than ourselves in this context. So in this case, usually when, when, there's, when there's differences and, and there's fighting within the church, right, what we're talking about are differences of opinion, We're talking about differences of conscience. We're talking about perceptions of how we've been treated, those sorts of things. You can't point to the other person and say, you know, you're in sin, you're disobeying the Bible just because you dislike a particular situation. So, so for example, someone may have offended you. We get offended all the time, but that doesn't automatically mean you've been sinned against. And in those cases, Paul said, just go low. Be selfless. Because you can do that and not change one thing you believe about the Bible. You can actually do that and obey the Bible fully. And in context, this especially applies if you are the stronger in the faith. It's your chance to prove it. When you're dealing with those situations, if you're stronger in the faith, then you have a chance to prove it. And to prove that you are like Christ, because that is exactly what Christ did. That's where he moves in verse 3, right? He goes from verse 1, he sets the context. You know, we then, just based on what we said, we don't, we don't want to offend our brothers. Verse 2, so we're to please our neighbor more than ourselves, because that's what Christ did. That's verse 3. And, and he uses Christ as a prime example of, of living that life, of helping those that are weaker, of not doing what he could have done. That's Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Speaking of Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Christ spent his entire life on this earth giving away to others. Not doing the things that he could have easily done because he knew his job. Even things that were rightful, like when in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, when he's in the wilderness after his baptism and, and, and immediately goes to spend those 40 days and 40 nights uh, in the wilderness, and Satan comes and tempts him in all those different areas. All those areas, by the way, were rightfully his. This wasn't the right time. And he knew it. And so he was obedient to his father. He never sought his own. He knew why he was there. Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. 
And, and, and for too many of us, even those of us that, you know, are supposed to be strong, we want to be ministered to more than we want to minister. And Jesus' goal was never to please himself. John 8, 29, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. See, he didn't do anything for his own gain or for selfish reasons. And not only do we see that in those verses in the Gospels, Paul also points to a Messianic psalm. So at the end of verse 3, he quotes an Old Testament verse. It's a Messianic psalm, Psalm 69, verse 9. So he's quoting Psalm 69, 9, prophetically speaking about Christ. It says, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. And so so he uses that psalm as a proof text for what Christ was going to have to deal with. And listen, if we live a Christ-like life and we live according to the Bible's prescription for our life, then that verse will likely be true of us as well. And you will feel those reproaches fall on you. And when you do, the the admonition that Paul gives us is to take it like Christ. That's the model that Paul lays out for us. And listen, I get it. It's not easy. And I get very clearly, we are not Christ, but we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, right? And, and we're not going to do it perfect, perfectly. We never will. And the church sh- never should be perfect. It, it can't be perfect. And no one should expect that. We're all a work in pro- progress. But listen, at some point, if you are going to be strong in the Lord, if you're going to be spiritually mature... You have to be able to do it at some level. Otherwise, it's just proof that you're not strong. So what that means is we shouldn't make excuses for ourselves and never expect ourselves to live up to the standard of Christ because living the life of Christ should be your heart's desire. And if your heart is only set on you, if it's only set on yourself, then division and disunity and people issues will just follow you. Wherever you go, they'll just follow you around. And the risk is still always to blame others. But, you know, at some point you should probably look at the common denominator. So what do you do? How do you deal with, that? that's, that's a real discouraging message there. That's a real discouraging point. You know, there's going to be issues in the church, so just suck it up. Well, yeah, I mean, that is the message. But that's not the, that's not the best message, right? It's, it doesn't feel great, so what do you do? How do you deal with difficult situations and difficult people in order to maintain unity and obey the Bible and and bring like-mindedness into a body? It brings us to our second point, the second way in which we need to seek like-mindedness, and that is we need to seek it through Scripture. You see, at the end of verse 3, Paul quotes Psalm 69.9, right? We, We just talked about that. We just read it. And that was the prophecy about Christ. But then he immediately turns it on us. Look at verse 4. So he, he reads this prophecy about Christ, but then he says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Paul said, Psalm 69.9 that I just quoted and all the other verses like that, they were not just written to give us information about Christ. They were written so that we can learn how to live and how to deal with the reproaches of life through patience and trust in God. 
so that when we are struggling with an issue or a person, we can go to the Scriptures and find comfort and hope. Go to the Scriptures and find comfort and hope. And I put that on your outline sheet. That's the promise you have. But listen, it takes patience. You can't just go running off, you know, with your, with your hair on fire to solve the situation that you're in. No, it starts with patience. Otherwise, you're going to end up in sin. That's, you know, we've talked about those different patterns of, uh, that you see in these verses. We won't take the time to go there. But it starts with patience. And you seek the Lord out. What, what does patience lead you to do? It leads you to not speak out. It leads you to seek out the Lord in Scripture through comfort of the Scriptures. And then you can get to hope. And what a great promise that is. Because think about this. On one hand, God says, this life isn't about you. You need to be selfless because Christ was selfless. Selfishness is the death of God's glory, so don't do that. But again, that's not always going to feel good or be easy to handle. And there are many times, even in a church, or, or you know, especially in a church, where you're going to feel abused and abandoned. But in verse 4, God gives you the solution. Go to him. He says, I have comfort for you in this book. You can come to me in those times. I have hope for you in Christ. And when you receive that from him, the other stuff doesn't really matter. And division and disunity will, will, will just seemingly subside and take care of themselves. And it's all because God's word has the answer for everything. And, and we believe that in good times. It's just, do we believe it in the hard times? Does Roman, do you believe Romans 15.4? That when you're dealing with the reproaches, like Christ dealt with the reproaches, that you can have patience in that moment, and you can find comfort in the scriptures, which will lead you to hope. Do you believe it? It's what the Bible says. And that thing, that book, we get into it, and it provides comfort, and it, re it renews our mind. It gets us thinking like Christ. It gives us strength. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. What a very interesting and, and, and great verse. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know where we get the revelation of Jesus Christ? Right here. In his word. In his word, it can settle our soul. It can provide us focus on what's important through that sober mind. And it brings us into conformity to Christ. So even in those hard times, we get to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. We're brought into the comfort of knowing that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He went through it all too, I promise. And there's hope in him. And we receive all that today. We receive that comfort and that hope as we spend time with God in his word. And listen, not just to hear from him generally but to hear from him specifically. God, what, what are you saying to me? Show me what, you're, what I need to hear from you today. Because I don't, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to get through this. But your word says that you have comfort in your scriptures, and if I, if I can trust in that, if I show patience, that'll lead to hope. That's what I need. Test him. See if he won't give you exactly what it is you need. Because there is hope in God's word if we just believe it for what it says. Psalm 119, verse 74. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me because I have hoped 
In thy word, I've sought out everything that I need before they come and get me. Psalm 119, verse 81, my soul fainteth for thy salvation. So this is hard times going on, but I hope in thy word. Psalm 119, verse 114, thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Psalm 130 and verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. There's patience being shown. And in his word do I hope. Those verses are for you and for me. Do you need hope? It can be found as you spend time in his word seeking what he has for you, listening to what it is that he's saying to you personally. And listen, when we're all hoping in his word and that gets us to set our affection on things above, we tend to forget about the petty differences going on down here. Because that's one of the things about division and disunity, and again, this is on your outline sheet. At some level, it's caused by an earthly mindedness. We're to set our affections on things above, Colossians 3, 2, not, not think on things of this earth. And our, and our, so, but too many times our affections are on the things of this earth and things of us and selfishness, not on things above. But seeking him out in Scripture helps us solve that. God gives us an answer. And then the other side of that coin is our third point this morning because we know what goes hand in hand with spending time with God in his word. It's spending time with God in prayer. So the third way in which we need to seek like-mindedness and unity is that we need to seek it through supplication. That's exactly what Paul does next. He starts praying, and he is praying for the church to be like-minded. Look at verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. Paul's asking God, he's praying to God, for God to grant them like-mindedness and unity. And that is just a great prayer to pray. We know that many times we don't receive everything that God has for us because because we don't ask him for it. And that's not a name it and claim it, you know, bag it and tag it theology. That's heresy. But because prayer doesn't change God's mind, but it brings us into conformity to God's will. So what God wants for us isn't always what we know we want. But as we pray, we learn that. And we find out what it is that God wants. So many times, because of our lack of prayer, we don't receive what God has for us. And, or, or, you know, we know that if sometimes we pray, but we pray amiss. We pray with the wrong heart motives. But praying for like-mindedness within a body is a prayer that God wants to answer. That, he desires to answer that. Because it, it is his will. Because he hates division. He hates it. That's what we learned from Proverbs 6. You know, we, we've looked at these verses before. Proverbs 6, 16. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And then the last thing, if you skip down to verse 19, is this. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. It, God, God hates that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that. The Bible is saying it. So if God hates division and, the, and if he, he, he hates he that soweth discord and among the brethren, he's going to love to answer a prayer for the opposite of that. So we need to make it a matter of prayer. As a church, we need to actively and consistently be praying that God keeps us from division. Because again, this is such a risk for every church. Like I told you in the introduction, if we are going to do anything of eternal value, Satan will notice So what we need to do, our response needs to be put on our armor by going to God's word 
and watch in prayer and ask for God's protection. So let me ask you, and I, and I put this on your outline sheet as well. When did you last pray for the unity of this church? And if it was a long time ago, I'm going to ask you to start praying for it. When did you last pray that God would comfort you and strengthen you so that you could cover for a weaker brother? Listen, it's all a matter of prayer and submission to the Word of God and conformity to Christ and disregard of self and concern for others. These all just work together. And they all work together for your own good and the good of others and the good of the church. But if it doesn't mean enough to us for us to pray about it, then why would God grant it? So we should pray for this individually. We should also pray for it collectively, together petitioning the Lord. This too is such a big deal for a church. Paul talked about the need over and over for churches to pray together all the time, both obviously individually, but there is a collective aspect of praying. Colossians 4.2, talking to the church, not talking to an individual, talking to the church, continue in prayer and watching the same with Thanksgiving. There's, there's plenty of other verses. And if the church kicked up its prayer life, I, I suspect division would kick down. And prayer brings a special unity and an agreement to the church. And, and by the way, also to a marriage, to a family, to a friendship. How many times do you see backbiting and arguments break out amongst people who are praying together? I mean, that'd be weird. But God uses prayer to bring a body of believers together, striving to the same end. It helps us to be like-minded. Paul was praying for it. He made it a matter of prayer. That's why we miss you so much when, when you miss our corporate prayer time together on Sunday nights. So next Sunday night, we're going to come together. And I wish you could be here. And listen, I understand. I understand there, there's some logistical difficulties to that. And we don't have child care. And I understand that. And, and listen, all I, all I say to that is I don't care if you don't care. <laughs> Bring your kids. Sit them next to you. And, and they might be a little, little bit loud. And that provides you a great parenting opportunity to teach your children a thing or two. And it also means we're a family. And we can be together. I don't care if your kid's loud. I mean, you know, to a certain point. <laughs> but bring them. It will be good for them to see that and be a part of it. But listen, at the, at the bottom line, a lack of prayer, a lack of praying together, it breaks down the, perfection, the protection afforded to a church because there are not enough people watching. There are not enough people on the wall watching if we're not praying. And so, you know, that's why churches become dysfunctional and they, no one's on the same page. Everybody has a different idea for what's good for the church and not good for the church because everybody's doing things their own way and, and they're missing the common bond that comes through prayer. Um, so we need to seek like-mindedness through prayer this year and, and, and be active in that and praying for it. But there's one more area in which we need to proactively seek out like-mindedness and unity. and That's fourth. We need to seek it through speech. Let's look at what else Paul is praying about in verse 6. There's a continuation of his prayer. That, that ye may be with one mind and one mouth. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we're unified and together in God's mission, we have the same mind and we have the same mouth. And that was Paul's desire for the churches. But, but too many times, our mouths aren't together because our minds aren't together. 
And they're not one, so they're divided. And, and then we use our mouth to further divide because we, we talk about each other in negative ways. But Paul gives us here the primary thing that our mouths are to do, and that's glorify God. That's what God give, gives us speech for. So that's what language is about, that, that God's glory, ultimately. And we know what the Bible has to say about our mouth and our tongues and the, the danger there. And so we need to be careful with this. We need to be quick to apply Proverbs 30, verse 32. It says, If thou hast done foolishly in lifting up thyself, or if thou hast thought evil, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. And that literally means if you are going to talk out of a place of pride, or out of evil thoughts of someone, you should shut up. You're, you're just better off not saying anything. Cover, cover your mouth. Don't, don't say it. So we obviously need to be careful what we say and who we say it to, because, and this is another point in your outline sheet, our mouths are the instrument through which division starts. Our mouths are the instruments through which division starts. Because, listen, disagreements are just that. Disagreements happen all the time, and, and that's actually okay. You know, maybe they're not desirable, but they're certainly inevitable. And not only that, disagreements aren't deadly. In fact, in some instances, disagreements are healthy. There could be, I, I, there could be a healthy tension that happens even within a church. Disagreements are not the problem. See, we think, oh, well, we have this disagreement and we can't, we can't come together to get along. That's the issue, so i got to go talk about it. No, the disagreement is not the problem. The problem is when we use our mouth as an instrument of division because of the disagreements. And we start gossiping and complaining and murmuring to others. And listen, it's even deeper than that because the real problem with that is it's not even a mouth issue it's a heart issue. It's not just a mouth issue. It's a heart issue. Because Matthew 12, 34 says, Oh, generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So our speech reveals our heart, and our speech can be redeeming. It can bring people together. It can be encouraging. It can be edifying. It can be challenging. Or it can be divisive and hurtful. And it can tear down. It just depends on what's in your heart. And that's a serious question, and it's a serious question because of what it leads to. Because what is in your heart can either lead to unity and like-mindedness, and you could help build it, or it can lead to disunity and division. And, and what that issue of the heart is really about, and, and listen to this, what that issue of the heart is really about is who you think deserves the glory. Because that's where Paul ends this section of Scripture, that you may, be with, with, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With that mouth, we are to glorify God. That's really the bottom line. Do you want to give God glory with your life? Do you want God to get glory out of this church? Because if you do, then you'll do your part to not cause a weaker brother to stumble. You'll do your part in stamping out division and disunity, and you'll do your part to seek comfort and hope through the Scriptures and not from tearing down others. You do, you do your part to pray about relationships in this church. You'll do your part to use your mouth and speech wisely. You won't speak out of pride or evil thoughts. And again, we're all guilty of it. And there are times that that pride and those evil thoughts pop up in all of us. But that's when we need to be disciplined to just keep our mouth shut. 
because it's not about us and it's not about our glory. It's about his. And if we can grow in this area, there's no telling what God will do with us through this year. We'll be able to build leaders and, and build laborers. We'll hear what God's talking to us personally. We'll not allow the devil's device of, of division to infiltrate us. We'll stay like-minded, unified in the mission. And 2024 will be a year of supernatural growth. And I hope that's your desire. And I hope you've listened over these past four messages to what God was saying to you and not just hoping that someone else heard it. Because it all starts here. It all starts with you. It all starts with me. Examining our own lives, not worrying about what God's doing or isn't doing in others, but being introspective and honest before the Lord. Because that's not only what this message and what this series has been about, it's also what the Lord's Supper is all about. A personal examination from a heart of thankfulness based on what God did for us, what he did for you, what he did for me.